Hey, it's Melody with Melody of Soul. Welcome back. Today's consciousness thought. Things I do because my mother hates them. (laughs) I'm sure you have these things. We all have these things. We have these things that we do because people like them. And we want to relate to someone or we want to be accepted by someone or maybe a group of someone's. And we do these things because people hate them. We don't even always like them. (laughs) But it's this weird rebellious sense that I'm sure has some type of natural component to it. You know, where there's a culture, there's always a counterculture. Maybe it's less rebellion and just looking at what is and seeing if there could be something different. Not accepting. I don't exactly know where that fits into the whole community, social evolution of humanity. Because it makes sense that we would do what works. And if it's working, we would continue it. And if it's not working, we would fix it. But then again, it would also make sense that we would actually go back in history and look to see what worked and what didn't. And we would do the things that work and we would not do the things that don't work. This is something that happens in business all the time, right? Like we look back at the history of our business or our industry or even just business in general, like marketing or uh, structure, corporations, like we look back and we think, okay, what worked and what didn't? And what worked based off of the goals that we actually had in place for that business or that transaction? But it's crazy that we don't do this in the rest of our lives. Okay, so because this is part of the Stream of Consciousness Season 3, we're just going to go on this train together because... My brain goes a mile a minute, as you know. It goes so fast, sometimes I can't even write it all down, which is why these podcasts are great. Okay, so I know that the compass of what is right and wrong, what is in line with your higher self and your soul's agenda, comes from your emotions, it feels good, intensely good, long-term good, then you're in alignment. And if it feels bad or negative or off or irritated, you're not in alignment. And that can also go with your body functions, right? So if your body's feeling really good, potentially you're in alignment, especially if it's a long-term good. If you're feeling off or irritated or tired or grumpy, that means you're not in alignment with what your body needs to function effectively. Like what you're asking it to do, it's not able to do because it doesn't have the resources or the pathway. Or you're walking down this way that you're like, this is way too hard for what you're asking us to do. Like you're asking us to do this, but this is what you're giving us. So we're, we're not, we're not going to be happy with you. Same with your soul. 
This is our purpose. This is what we decided to do. But we're going the opposite path. So I'm going to be a little grumpy, but. Okay, so I know that. Well, today, I was doing a homework assignment from one of the self-development programs that I'm taking. And it's about our connection with food. (laughs) And he asked us to record this. This whole train of thought, which as I started going through it, I realized there's a lot more there than I can possibly write down. So as I'm going through this process of the things in the food world that I connect with and don't connect with, I realized just how long that list has been for me. And I'm really struggling with a couple of things in my life that I realize I've always struggled with. I go up and down. And even as a kid, I can look back at my my school pictures and I see myself really tiny and scrawny and then really plump. And then really scrawny and then really plump. And then really fit and then really chubby. And it would go up and down and up and down. And when I was really young, kindergarten first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, it would almost change dramatically every year. I looked like a different little girl in the way I was so chubby and then so scrawny and then so chubby and so scrawny. And then as I got into high school, no, it had been in middle school. Middle school, my parents decided to put us in karate, which I didn't know how to feel about because I felt like karate was kind of like a Bruce Lee dude thing. What am I doing there? But I like to be active and I like to do anything my brothers would do. So here we are in karate. And I wasn't very good at it. And to be honest, my best, best friend growing up, who's a girl, her dad was one of the instructors. So she had been doing karate all this time. We never talked about it. We never talked about the fact that she did karate until... My parents were having the conversation with her parents and they decided, oh, that would be a really great way for our kids to like be active and learn some skills. So we joined karate and she was really good. She was amazingly flexible. She was super strong. All of a sudden it started making sense, like why she was so good at certain things. And so it made me want to be more into karate. But I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't very flexible. I wasn't very strong. Uh, I I just, I, I struggled with it. And we stuck with it. We stuck with it. Because the three of us really bonded over this. And I was able to hang out with my best friend. And after a couple of years, we all became instructors. And so we were instructing younger kids. And by that point in time... I'd really turned karate into a method. Can't say I was amazing at it, but I can say that it made enough body changes and enough confidence changes in my life that I was not leaving it. And that's really for the first time when my body started staying pretty consistent as far as physique. I lost a lot of weight. I got a lot of confidence. I kind of became a new version of myself, which was cool. And then I got into high school. 
And you know what happens in high school. <laughs> You're trying to figure out all the other parts of you and who you are. And I was a very weird high schooler. <laughs> I remember logically getting to high school and looking around and thinking, well, I'm not going to be one of the pretty girls because there's way too many pretty girls. There's girls that are way, way more gorgeous than I am. So I'm not going to win in that battle. Why I had this battle, who really knows? So I decided, you know what? I'm going to be the most sporty girl. I'm going to be little Miss Active. And the problem was I wasn't very good. I wasn't very coordinated. (laughs) I was kind of all over the place. I tried my hand at baseball. And they told me to... I should probably go out into left field with catcher's gear on because I got hit with the baseball in the face and in the throat and in the head. And I just couldn't figure out how to get my glove at the right angle so it wouldn't pop me right in the face when I would stop the ball. Every time. Uh, Yeah, I um, I tried volleyball, which I'm short. So I was a great setter and I was a great digger. And I was very aggressive, and I'm very loud, and I'm very enthusiastic. But I'm not very coordinated. So, my arms, they have a tendency to flail all over the place, which does not work in volleyball. So I tried soccer. I can run really fast. Again, I am aggressive. I am loud. I am excited. Uh... But the coordination of the feet, problematic. (laughs) Swimming, I thought, how can you go wrong with swimming? You have to coordinate your breathing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see what else. Cheerleading. How can you go wrong with cheerleading? Well, there's a lot of dance moves. And I did not pick them up quickly. But again, it was very loud. Very enthusiastic. So in all of my sports teams, I did get the award, sometimes the invented award, uh, for most spirited. Always was Miss School Spirit. Because I was super excited. Now, how does this fit back into the whole food thing? Well, I remember in high school a thing about food. And as I'm doing this journal entry, I realize it dates back to when I was even like a little kid. I remember my mom named us after the condiments <laughs> that we all would use. Uh, my younger brother would only use ketchup, so he was the king of ketchup. My older brother would only use mustard, so he was the monarch of mustard. Monarch mustard. And I would only use mayonnaise, so I was the master of mayonnaise. And she knew that anytime we were going to have hot dogs or hamburgers or anything, I needed the mayonnaise, my younger brother needed the ketchup, and my older brother needed the mustard. And we were not going to mix. So don't be thinking that we're going to share. Because making those labels made it so that that was your condiment. Like you, I can't even put ketchup on french fries because that's, that's my younger brother's. You know, I, I cannot try mustard because that is my older brother's. It's very territorial. But I remember 
in high school, as I got closer and closer to my older brother, since we were both in high school together and we had friends together and he was dating some of my friends, as we got closer, I started to move into mustard land. And he really liked spicy mustard. And so I tried, I didn't really like the regular mustard, but when he, he, he introduced me to spicy mustard, and even years later, as adults, when I would go visit him and his family, if there was a certain beer he liked, I all of a sudden wanted to try this beer. And I really liked, you know, a lot of times I would really like it. Mustard. Uh, certain pickles. Weird things that I would never even think of. If, if he was into them, I wanted to try it. And once I got over that stage of, like, territorialism... And was like, ooh, I want to relate to my older brother. Then I started eating the foods that he liked to eat. And with my younger brother, we liked a lot of the same foods. So it was easy for us to relate. And I realized how eating and foods help us bond and relate to one another. Think about it. You know you have that sushi buddy. I definitely have a sushi buddy. I have a couple sushi buddies. The Mexican buddy. The one that always loves to go get Mexican food. The one that you call when you want to go get Italian. The one that you call when you want to go get margaritas. The one that you call when you just want to chill out and drink beer and watch sports and have chicken wings. And the friend that you call when you want to go have a little poshy uh, wine night. We all have them. We all have our groups of friends, right? And we all have ones that have certain dietary things going on especially now. You know, you have your gluten-free friend. You know when you're with them, you're, you're just going to eat gluten-free. Like, it's not a big deal. You love this friend so much that you want to connect with them on that level. You don't want to separate yourself. So you, when you go to the gluten-free restaurant, you, you find something. Like, you've diligently done the work to know what has gluten in it so that you don't, you know, put that on any of the food you're sharing. Or the dairy-free friend. You learn to eat different types of ice cream. You learn what cheeses are okay. And when you show up with, you know, the wine and cheese basket, it's got feta in it and goat cheese. You know, like you look out for her. You don't order pizza. You don't say, hey, let's go get pizza. You know, she can't eat it. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. Back to my crazy train of thought. Notice that it's running a mile a minute at this juncture. So here are my big ones because these were ones we were discussing in my class today. Pizza, sugar, sweets, fried chicken, alcohol. Okay. So I haven't had pizza pretty much since I moved back to Thailand because it's not really a thing here. We don't have pizza. It's really expensive to get it because you have to go to these specialty restaurants. And, uh, I didn't remember it being that great when I went. So it's not really my thing. Now in America, I love going to Mellow Mushroom where they have like real pizza and they have a gluten-free option if you need it, if I'm with that friend or if I want a ton of vegetables or if you want something weird on your pizza. Yes, that's the place to go here. Okay. You get weird, but it's like squid and uh, shrimp and pineapple and it's not even real cheese. So it's not really that, it's not really the same thing. 
So pizza here doesn't get me. Fried chicken. We absolutely have fried chicken in Thailand. It's everywhere. Because it's hot. Just like in the south, in the southeast of the United States, where we have sweet tea and fried chicken in Thailand. I'm in the south. It's hot. Everybody needs that preservative, I guess, with the tea and the chicken. So we have sweet tea and fried chicken. But because it's everywhere, it's not really my thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I like it every once in a while, but it's not really my thing. Sugar. Sweets. Okay, again, in Thailand, everything is sweet. We have fried bananas. That's, that's a normal thing. Uh, all the drinks are made with eva- or concentrated milk or evaporated milk or something that it, everything here is just super, super sweet. Very similar to the way it is in the Southeast. You know, I'm from South Carolina. So because I can get it at home and because I can get it here, I definitely say that I move more towards uh, a healthier diet in Thailand because I embrace a lot of the spicy salads and the seafood and the soups and the things that are just very traditionally Thai because I can't get those at home. And when I try to get them at home, they've been Americanized. So they're very sweet or they're very weird in some way. Okay, so where does this lead me? So I realized when I'm thinking about my older brother and mustard, when I was in yoga school, I remember my instructor giving me hell because I didn't eat Indian food. Sorry, that was the 11-11 alarm. (laughs) Yeah, so when I was in yoga school, learning how to be a yoga instructor, my teacher gave me a really hard time because I didn't like Indian food. Like somehow, Indian food, and liking it, translates into learning about ancient Ayurvedic pre-Indian culture ideology and practices. Never understood that, but I guess I was not her quintessential model of a yoga instructor's diet. (laughs) Okay, and then I started thinking, but you know what? I've always had these rules. I remember as a young kid, we'd always go to my grandparents' house for every celebration you can possibly think of. And they always had cake and ice cream. And it was this ice cream, it was Neapolitan, so it was the strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, all in this giant tub. And always a cake from like Bilo or Piggly Wiggly. And I just thought they tasted terrible. Even as a young kid, I mean, we had it so often. So when you were young, you were like, ah, yeah, ice cream, cake. And then after a couple years of ice cream and cake, every time you turn around, the same thing. I was just like, ooh, not the cardboard cake again. And the, you know, frostbitten ice cream. And 
it just wasn't my thing. So I got to the point where I just decided I didn't like it. And when I went to go to these parties, I would not partake. And in hindsight, I realized that actually had more to do with the fact that I no longer wanted to connect with members of the family. Okay. Maybe I didn't actually want to connect with my instructor from my yoga school. I didn't feel very close to her. I didn't feel like we had a very good bond. So eating your food didn't appeal to me. Okay. Now this one boggles me. Pork. I have a very distinct aversion to pork to the point where if it isn't anything, it will make me throw up. The smell of it will make me nauseous. Now, have I ever determined if this is psychological or biological? No, have not. But I know this dates back to being a young child. My grandmother that lived with us put pork in everything, like a good southern grandmother. You know, we eat Vienna sausages as a snack. There was pork neck and pork lard and bacon and any any part of the pig was cooked in all of our food all the time. We had breakfast for dinner all the time. And it just seemed like we had pork for everything. And I remember eating Vienna sausages real young and saying, Grandma, this makes my tongue itch. And she was like, it does not. You just don't want to eat it. Eat your snack. But Grandma, it makes my tongue itch. I would get to like Vienna sausage number three. I'd get through one and two, okay. But as soon as I hit Vienna sausage number three, and there's only four in the container, it would really start bothering me. Now, was it a tongue itch or was it a gag reflex? I don't really remember. But I remember thinking, I don't want this. And of course, she'd make you eat it because you eat everything on your plate in the South and possibly many other places. And at some point in time, pork started making me very sick. It could have actually contributed to some of my weight problems when I was younger. But after my grandmother passed away, when I was in about the sixth grade, I I don't remember it being an issue until I started to get into high school. And by the time I hit high school, I had these huge aversions to anything pork. And then I get to college and I lived with some roommates that were vegans and I became a vegetarian for a couple years. And then going back into the meat world, pork was the number one thing that would make me curl over and just grab a toilet. Uh, it, you know, it started with like the meat and then it was the skin and then it was, you know, any type of like even cooked near it. And, and to this day, it's even the smell, which is crazy. And I've even had friends like try to trick me, you know, and put it in certain things just to see. Yep. Like clockwork. So I feel like that might have been a way of dealing with my grief about her death. Something about that. Okay, let's keep going. 
Soda. When I was young, probably high school, I decided that dark sodas left a weird film on my mouth. Like it made my throat feel very like gummy. Only dark sodas because I was in love with Mountain Dew. (laughs) And so I remember in middle school and high school refusing to have anything with, there was a dark soda. No Coke, no Dr. Pepper, no Pepsi, none of it. Blech, gross. But I could do Mountain Dew. Is it really any different? I don't think so. But I tie that back into my dad. My dad would drink liters of Coke for dinner. Liters. He had a whole liter to himself. Fried chicken and Coke was like his thing. And my dad was extremely, he was huge. I mean, he was a beast of a man. He looked like a bear. But he also was very obese and he had a lot of health conditions. And he eventually died of kidney failure after years and years of horrific health conditions that I watched this happen and I started doing you know, all this research on health and, you know, what was actually going on. I learned about diabetes. Um, I actually studied different modalities in health so I could understand what was going on. And no matter what I said to him, it was Coke and fried chicken till the end. And at some point in time in that whole juncture, I realized I didn't want to connect with my dad anymore. And so I didn't drink his drink. (laughs) Uh, fried chicken, I connect that back with him dying. So here's the kicker. Okay, so I'm realizing now that I want certain foods to connect with people. And I go away from certain foods to disconnect with people. Now, alcohol. Alcohol is a habit I picked up in college. I guess it started a little bit in high school, but you know, it really hits in college. And my mother hated it. Now, she never told me why she hated it until I was well into adulthood. And we finally had conversations about her losing a lot of her friends at at high school age to drunk driving. Either they were hit by drunk drivers or... They were the ones in the car with a drunk driver. But she had multiple friends, multiple young friends die in drunk driving car accidents. I think this would have made a lot more sense to me if she told me this when I was in high school. But would it have made a difference? I don't know. So I realized that alcohol, even to this day, if I can come up with every excuse known to man why I drink. Which is interesting because I do an alcohol 30-day just cleanse from it every other month. I used to do it every three months. But I, I realized in myself there's a lot of addictive qualities. And we do have a lot of alcoholics still in, in, in the side of the family that we really don't hang out with. But I got the privilege to, to stay with some of them um, when I was going to school in Virginia. 
And it's, it's crazy. It's kind of crazy to watch. And I know I get nuts when I start drinking, as most of us probably do. And so I've realized in myself, I just have to go on hiatus. And my inner voice that I like, I call the goddess. She told me just this year, you know, you need to start doing it every other month. Like you really need to dial that back. You need to be more consistent with it. And I still struggle with it, even though I only do it every, like I can just cut it out for an entire 30 days. But when I'm on my 30 day, I have a hard time saying no to it because I can, you know, I can, I can have it for those 30 days. Even though it's detrimental to a lot of the other habits that I'm putting in place for health, right? I realized eating fish and seafood. Why I love fish and seafood so much? Because my mom can't eat it. The same reaction I get to pork, she gets to seafood. Not necessarily all cooked fish, but definitely shellfish related. So we can't even go to seafood restaurants if she smells it. So in a way, I eat seafood (laughs) because she hates it. I drink alcohol because she hates it. I curse like a sailor. I especially did in high school. And I do a lot more when I'm around her. Because she hates it. Now, my dad was a curser. My dad was not a drinker. But he he wasn't real judgmental about it. And my dad would eat anything. So seafood was never off the table. But I guess he couldn't have it as often with his wife. So he's my fried chicken and Coca-Cola person. Mom is my alcohol and fish. Grandmother is my pork. My other grandparents are my ice cream and cake. Haven't exactly figured out where pizza fits in. Um, I feel like pizza is was a new thing in our family. We didn't really have pizza nights. We were more the bucket of fried chicken family. Uh, pizza definitely did not come into our lives until much later. Um, but somehow pizza reminds me of more friends and maybe like church socials or maybe school lunches, which I, I don't really connect with. So stream of consciousness. Here we go. Let's, let's finalize this. We eat. Okay. Let me put it this way. I eat. I eat certain foods because other people like those foods and that's when I want to connect with them and I want to be accepted by them and I want to be in their little inner circle even if it's years later crazy right I stop eating certain foods or I'm adverse to certain foods because they're associated with a certain person And I needed to disconnect from that person or group of people, even decades later. Okay. I have issues with destructive substances, food and alcohol that go against my health goals 
that go against my, my higher self of what I'm, what is my agenda in life? Because of this feeling of needing to disconnect with those same people. So I've realized it all ties into my, to my mom at the moment because she is the, the, really in all of those other than my brother and my former yoga instructor, mom's the only one still alive. But it's crazy because it still affects you once, once they die. <laughs> still dealing with the, the dad aftermath and the grandmother aftermath and the grandparents aftermath. And I can't say any of those are bad things. I'm adverse to cake and ice cream, fried chicken, Coca-Cola. <laughs> I still like spicy mustard. Uh, I, I, I do now enjoy Indian food quite a bit after living with an Indian family for, for a while. Um, but man, alcohol. That's a hard one for me. And it's not hard to give up. It's hard when I'm drinking it about the feelings that I feel and about the destructive habits that come up with it. It's like a gateway. That's a gateway one. And it, I know it has to do with some type of unresolved disconnect that I have with my mother. And I buffer it with eating things that reconnect me with her. So sugars and sweets Not seafood, though. Seafood and beer is how I disconnect. Or seafood and alcohol. Beer, mostly. She, she really doesn't like beer. She thinks it's very crass. She doesn't understand wine as much. But she's, she's not as bad with wine. And then I reconnect with her using sweets and sugars. Vicious cycle. Because I realize there are two voices in my head that always come up. I want ice cream. <laughs> and we can't afford that. And they almost come always together. And I just, just, just connected. Oh my goodness. Those are not my voices at all. Those are my mother. My, my mom also has health conditions and I moved back in with her and she had her first stroke and became her dietitian and her cook, her athletic coach. You know, we rehabbed her like crazy to the point that you would never know that woman had a stroke other than the fact she can't remember anything anymore. And... I feel like those are the two phrases that follow me around like a little mom on my shoulder. It's like, I want ice cream, but we can't afford it. <laughs> because I don't like ice cream. And I am very financially safe. <laughs> like, I'm the opposite of those things. So... 
this is where I have to figure it out from here. This is where I'm, I'm on my journey. I don't want to add the things that just randomly connect me with her because that would be sugar and sweets, which is problematic in my own diet. Uh, I don't want to get stuck on alcohol. And, you know, seafood's not bad, but to disconnect with her. So really it comes down to reconnecting with my version of myself when I needed to be disconnected with her and resolve whatever that is. And really come to terms with that, that resolution. Why did I need to disconnect with my mother? And can I reconnect with her in, in a healthy way? Now, was she still here? You know? To resolve things in ourselves, they may include others. And sometimes it can make it easier when they're still on the physical realm. And sometimes it makes it harder. Yeah? But yeah, that's, that's my... Stream of consciousness rant of the day. Why we do things that people hate, especially the people that we love? It's because we needed to distance ourselves from them. And now, if we want to really address that, we've got to go back to why. What was happening? What, what made that a safety mechanism for us? And get to the bottom of it and unravel it and unseed it. And then I'm more conscious in where I go from here. So I hope that helped you in some way. And thanks for listening to that. <laughs> See you next time.